You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Sarah. And I'm Abby. Today, we're going to discuss all things transportation-related in honor of Sarah's new podcast project. Sarah, will you tell us a little bit about it? My new podcast is called Family Pedals, and it is an interview-style podcast. So when this episode comes out, I believe there will be two that are already out. The idea for the podcast came about because, as we'll discuss more in this episode, my family does not own a car. And that was pretty easy when it was just me and Neil. But when our kids came onto the scene, it became a much bigger challenge. And I was really trying to find stories of other families who were also making it work without a car. And I found some, but not as much as I would like. And so I wanted to create this podcast to connect people who are interested in walking and biking for transportation and doing that as a family Mm -hmm. and to just contribute to that conversation around active transportation. So right now I'm releasing episodes every other week on the opposite Tuesdays that Friendlier comes out. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to, you can hear my voice every week now. (laughs) (laughs) And who doesn't want that? Exactly. (laughs) Okay, before we get too much into transportation, let's catch up on life lately. What's been happening with you, Sarah? I just got back from a trip to Missouri where I got to see the totality of the solar eclipse. So amazing. It really was. It was something where I knew the totality was coming to Missouri and didn't think that much of it. I wasn't that interested in going But then my mom was telling me about it when we were traveling to Oregon and mentioned it to my brother who lives in California. And he planned to come back. And we always try and coordinate a trip so our kids can see each other and we can see each other. Mm -hmm. And we planned it around the eclipse. I will say as it got closer and closer and I learned more and more about the eclipse, my enthusiasm grew exponentially. (laughs) I kept turning to Neil and saying, isn't this amazing? Aren't you so excited? (laughs) And he was and we were. So (laughs) and it lived up to the hype for you, right? It did. I will say I think a lot of the country saw the really cool eclipse shadows Mm, mm -hmm. and we did not get to see that because it was cloudy, Mm. but it wasn't so cloudy that it blocked the view of the eclipse. It was just a thin layer of clouds. So when you had your glasses on, you can still see the eclipse happening very clearly And when the totality happened, it wasn't the pitch black that you see in the pictures. Mm -hmm. At least it wasn't for us. You could still see the ring through the clouds. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I was the same as you where I was like, I don't actually really care about this that much. Mm -hmm. And we had friends that got us the glasses, which was really nice. Because we we wouldn't have even done it, probably. And we didn't even have totality here in North Carolina. But we had something like 92%. And Mm -hmm. it was still totally awesome. And we did get to see the shadows, which was so beautiful. And I thought I was so original Instagramming about it. And then (laughs) everyone (laughs) did that. There were so many eclipse grams. There were. (laughs) Rightly so. It was pretty awesome. It was. HP really loved it. He liked looking at it and saying, I can see outer space while he was (laughs) looking at the moon coming in front. And then E was not very interested in it, which was fine. She kept saying that she did not want it to be dark during the day, which is fair. (laughs) Yeah, it's really weird. What's been happening with you, Abby? Plum and I got back from a trip. We went to Nashville to visit friends and a friend had a wedding reception and then we also did anticipation of baby celebration for another friend. 
Plum got to spend a lot of time with her grandparents, which was good. And then we went down to Huntsville where we have some dear friends from college who just bought a house mm-hmm. and stayed with them. And they also have toddler kids. So Plum was in extrovert heaven all week. <laughs> and she took really long naps because of all the kid playing. That part of the trip was probably the ideal vacation for me because it was basically just laying around, cooking and eating tons of delicious food, watching the kids have fun together. And watching TV when they were resting, including HGTV. I really <laughs> needed to fry my brain in that way. And it was perfect. It sounds lovely. Let's move on to talk about what we've been reading. So I recently finished Who Thought This Was a Good Idea? And Other Questions You Should Have Answers To When You Work in the White House by Alyssa Mastromonaco. I'm not sure where I heard about this one, but I was on hold for it for a while at the library. Hmm. I loved the look into life in the White House and of a White House staffer. I loved that she was a young, powerful, successful woman in Washington, Mm -hmm. which is usually the domain of men or older women. Mm -hmm. And she was the head of advance on Kerry's presidential campaign when she was 26 hmm. and then started working for Obama as a staffer when he was a senator and then on the campaign and in the White House. And before she was 35, she was the deputy chief of staff. That's awesome. It was just really cool to hear about how that happened and nostalgic in a somewhat painful way to think of the days of an Obama presidency. Yeah. But it gave me a good feeling about public service and people getting into it for the right reasons and dedicating their lives to working in government, which is often underappreciated and very demanding to be working in the White House. What I did not love about the book is its structure. Mm. She based it around characteristics that you need to be successful. So there was a chapter on leadership and a chapter on self-awareness and one on resilience. So it wasn't completely chronological, Mm. although it mostly was. It was mostly at the beginning of the book talking about her early career and mostly at the end of the book talking about later. But she jumped around somewhat. And I didn't find that there was a really cohesive narrative that she was telling. Yeah. It felt like a lot of stories, but there wasn't as much tying it all together as I would have liked. Hmm. And in general, I didn't love the tone as well. And about two thirds of the way through the book, I learned that her target demographic for this book was 15 to 25 year old women. Oh, okay. That actually explained a lot for me because when I thought about that, I do think I would have liked it more in high school or college Mm -hmm. because I think it is just really inspirational to hear how she got to where she was. And it felt so doable. Not that she wasn't working incredibly hard or that her job would not have been amazingly demanding, but she just seemed so real. And Mm -hmm. her path to get there, it was like, oh, okay, that's how people end up doing that. I'm glad I read it, but I don't know that I would recommend it. Mm -hmm. Because overall, it did just feel like these small stories without being able to make a cohesive story out of that. Yeah. So I read The Bright Hour, A Memoir of Living and Dying, which was written by Nina Riggs. And she is a young woman. She's 38, I think, when she's diagnosed with breast cancer. 
and then things sort of progress and her cancer gets more serious and then she actually passed away earlier this year. So the book just came out and she was basically writing it the whole last year and a half of her life. There's also a parallel story in the memoir in which her mother dies of cancer. So hearing that, you'd think that it's really heavy and depressing. But this was such a beautiful, funny memoir. Mm -hmm. And it carried a lot of the same weight for me as When Breath Becomes Air. Mm -hmm. I read When Breath Becomes Air a while ago. And I loved it and I found it really poignant, but I connected much more to Nina, the author of this memoir, because she's a young mom. Mm -hmm. She has two young sons. I think her kids are five and eight when she's diagnosed. I just really connected to the funny parenting things and I really connected to the descriptions that she made of her marriage. I found it, I don't think enjoyable is the right word, but it was a really powerful, wonderful read. There really wasn't much that I didn't like about it. Obviously, it's a sad story, but I would recommend this to pretty much anyone. There's so much the sort of universal human truth about love and life in there that I think most people would find it of value. How did you hear about it? I think that it was recommended by somebody on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I can't actually remember. Okay. I will definitely put that on my list. Awesome. Now we're going to move on to talk about all the different ways we get ourselves and our families where we need to go. Sarah, what was transportation like in your family growing up? So we were a pretty traditional two-car family. We drove most places that we needed to go. I did walk to and from elementary school all the way through and to and from junior high. Mm -hmm. And then in high school, my sister drove me there or I drove myself and in middle school I got a ride because it was much further away and then of course I walked around the neighborhood as a kid to friends houses and to the local drugstore to buy junk food (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't really have examples in my family of using non-car transit to get where you needed to go Mm -hmm. we never rode the bus as a kid really even going to the grocery store that is very close We would always drive. Yeah. How about you? We drove everywhere like it was nothing. I don't even remember really thinking much about it. Mm -hmm. Same. And growing up in Dallas, it's such a sprawling metroplex that we drove long distances to get places. Mm -hmm. Church was 40 minutes. Wow. And youth orchestra was 40 minutes. The restaurant we wanted to go to for dinner on a Friday night was far My dad's softball was far. My mom's work was far. My dad's work was far. We were really very suburban and just had this expectation that we would be driving everywhere. And it wasn't until I left Dallas and went to college at Hendricks that I realized how much I prefer to not do that. Mm -hmm. It just was part of our life. We just did it. What did you do for getting to and from school? My dad dropped me off. Most mornings, especially in high school, because that started early and he went to work really early to beat traffic. Mm -hmm. And then occasionally I would bus home. I often had after school things happening, you know, like theater stuff or marching band. And so I would get picked up. But I also started driving 
And I think out of necessity, my parents bought sort of like an old clunker car for me to be driving myself around. And then I was also driving my sister some. Right. It's easier for them. Right. For me, it was also being at Hendrix where I started thinking about things differently. And for a long description of that process, you can listen to the first episode of Family Pedals. Mm -hmm. But the short version of it is I broke my arm when I was a freshman and couldn't drive my car because it was a stick shift Mm -hmm. and then walked to the places I needed to go, which was basically Walmart down the street. (laughs) And I just realized how much more enjoyable that was. I just never thought it was autopilot. I just get in my car and drive if I need to go somewhere, mm-hmm. where being forced to be out of my car, I just realized I find it less stressful to walk or bike than to be in my car. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about parking either on campus or where I was going. It honestly didn't take much longer. I was getting exercise. It was just more relaxing. Yeah. And so then I started incorporating more biking that summer once I got my cast off and started really biking for transit. And once I went to Europe my junior year, that really shifted my thinking of just seeing a whole culture thinking about transportation differently. Mm-hmm. Because in the U.S., most places, you're really going against the grain mm-hmm. to be using active transportation. And that is changing, but we're just a car-centric culture. Yeah. Where in Europe, I mean, it was a revelation to me that people stopped at the crosswalks when you were standing there to let you go. Yeah. It had never occurred to me that people would stop when you were at a crosswalk because No one did where I was growing up. Mm -hmm. That started the shift for me. And then over the next few years, Neil got really into it. And Mm -hmm. he's the one who really pushed us from, I was dabbling in it. I occasionally biked places. I like to walk. But once he got really into it, that's when we started seriously talking about selling our car and just making it work, being a car-free family. Yeah. So it's been eight years now since we sold our car. I mean, as I said, Hendrix was what made me realize that I much preferred not getting in the car all the time and not just not getting in the car, but also not living long distances away from where I needed to be. That's key. Yeah. And so when I was moving to Nashville, my goal was to be able to walk into school and into lab eventually. And so I didn't look beyond what was a really easy walking radius. I don't think I lived further than a 90-second walk from Vanderbilt's campus the whole time that I lived there. Wow. And that was how I liked it. And Andrew was on board, too. Mm -hmm. And so when we bought our house right before we got married, which was as we were finishing up our first year of graduate school, we looked in that same radius and then we were able to sell his car. So at that point, we had a car that was a gift from my parents and a car that had been a gift from his parents. And we decided that we just needed mine. And it's a Civic Hybrid five-speed. And that's the car I've had since college. And it's a Honda. So we probably have another 100,000 miles at least. Mm -hmm. So... That car has lasted us really beautifully this whole time. So that's sort of our transitions. Sarah, what does your day-to-day of transportation look like in your family now? Things are really different than when you guys first sold your car because you have two kids. That's right. Now we mostly bike everywhere we need to go. And that is just because it's faster to bike than to walk. And it's easier to haul a lot of children's things that way. So we have two cargo bikes 
I usually ride the Madsen, which is a bucket bike. It's a big tub in the back, and it has a little bench seat with seat belts for the kids. And we do that almost everywhere. HP now is also riding his own pedal bike. So for going somewhere relatively close, I'll still take E in the bucket bike, and then HP will ride next to us. Mm -hmm. We're kind of at a place where I feel like we actually need to be making some shifts with how we're getting around, but it will still be via bicycle, just with a slightly different setup to accommodate our needs as they're getting older. And quite frankly, they're just really heavy to haul around now. Yeah. It's over 70 pounds of combined kid weight and going up hills here is <laughs> slow. It's a workout. Very slow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then Neil bikes to work every day. And a lot of that is on a bike path. Like you were saying, we also prioritized location when we were looking at buying a home mm -hmm. and looking at a place that optimized being close to the kids' school, being close to downtown, being close to Neil's work. And I wish we were even slightly more walkable. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're in a great bikeable location, but I consider being half a mile from everything an exceptionally good walkable neighborhood. Right. And I would say we're more like a mile from a lot of things. Yeah. So still doable, but not as convenient as it could be. Yeah. How about you? Now we still have the one car, as I said, but we probably only get in the car an average of three times per week. Most of the transportation I do with Plum is her in the stroller, me pushing, us walking. Mm -hmm. And most of the transportation Andrew does to work is either walking, which is his primary mode. He likes to do it. He likes to get his steps every day. Nice. Does he have a pedometer or a Fitbit? We both have Fitbits. Okay. And we like to do the um, competitions mm -hmm. to see who can get their steps or take the most steps in a day, which has been really fun. You know, we don't belong to a gym or anything, so it's a really nice way to be active within your day. Mm -hmm. Also, the Chapel Hill Carborough City buses are free for everybody. So he occasionally takes the bus when he's running late and wants to get home mm -hmm. or if the weather is really, really bad, though. I mean, he walks in pretty much anything. <laughs> he's taken trekking poles <laughs> and hiking boots when it's been snowy. That's commitment. So most of what he does is walking. We use our car for things like going to the Chapel Hill Public Library, which is accessible by bus, but just that's way less convenient, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. I use it to teach yoga. But other than that, we grocery shop using the stroller. Our pediatrician is walking distance. The vet is now walking distance. So most things... If we didn't have the car, we could make it work. I loved seeing where you guys were when I went to visit because we walked everywhere while we were there. It was great. We have, like you said, prioritized location mm -hmm. to make the transportation choices that we want to make really easy. So how do you think your current transportation choices impact your life? I think it helps me feel more connected in my neighborhood and community when I'm walking and biking. That has been one of the most unexpected benefits to me. Mm -hmm. And that was really the aha moment that I had, both when I broke my arm and when I lived in Europe, was just feeling like, oh, this is so much nicer. Mm. I find getting in a car to be really stressful. Mm. I don't feel the same about walking and biking. And even less about walking. To me, being in a car is the most stressful and being in a bike is probably the next. Mm -hmm. And walking is the most relaxing. Yeah. If I were in charge of all transportation decisions and had to consider no one, which is 
not my current life. (laughs) I would walk more than I would bike. Mm -hmm. And when it was just me and Neil, I always preferred walking and he always preferred biking because he likes that biking's faster, Mm -hmm. where I like that walking's just nice. I don't mind if it takes me longer. Yeah. I also really love that I feel like it's a way that we can live our values and show our kids that there's a different way to do things. Mm. And that I went through most of my life just thinking you get in a car to go places. Mm -hmm. And even if they don't end up wanting to be regular bike commuters or pedestrians, they'll at least know that there's that option and that you don't have to get in a car. I feel like that can apply across many different areas of their life, not just transportation related. Mm -hmm. Another thing I will say on a bit of a lighter note is that bike parking is amazing. (laughs) Yep. Not that businesses are great at bike parking, but going downtown and having to park a car and pay for parking and find a spot, Mm -hmm. it's just so much easier. If we go see a show downtown, just ride our bikes up, lock them up and walk in. Yeah. That is not the case when you're driving a car. Yeah, that's something I love about walking. Mm -hmm. We just have to park the stroller, which is very similar (laughs) to parking the bike. Yeah. I'd also say that it's had a huge impact on our finances, Mm -hmm. especially when we were having our first jobs out of grad school. And I feel like it really helped us make it work for me to stay home. Mm -hmm. It saves a lot of money to not need to buy and maintain a motor vehicle. Definitely. But on the negative end of the ways that it impacts my life, because there are definitely challenges that come with it, I have written on our outline that it's cold and sad in the winter. (laughs) So yeah, I feel like that about sums that up. We still bike even when it was below zero and cold enough that it froze my derailleur. (laughs) I could not shift until I was able to break it free. And that's just not as enjoyable I am still glad to get the exercise. I'm glad we're still able to make it work, but it is not my favorite to have to bundle up my kids, bundle up myself, and do everything that needs to be done to get where we need to go in the winter. Yeah. I feel like the other way it's impacted us is I think we end up having a much smaller radius of our life, which Mm. I think can be positive, but I wonder if we would go camping on the weekend more if we had a car or drive out to go on a hike. Mm -hmm. Things like that that I would enjoy doing, but that we don't because we've made this choice. Yeah. How do you feel like your transportation choices have impacted your family? Well, I really love being a one-car family. The choices that we've made now and choices that we've made in the past have been really great for us and have been the right thing and have inspired us to sort of keep things as they are. I really don't love putting Plum in the car. I don't love that it's really hot in there. Mm -hmm. I don't love that she gets all sweaty. I don't love sort of the drama of all the buckling and she's like flailing her arms around and trying to stand up because she's 18 months old and that's what they do. It's just much easier to put her in the stroller. And I think she prefers that. Mm -hmm. She likes to get in the stroller herself. She can climb in there herself now. She says, stroller, roll, roll, (laughs) when she wants to go for a walk. It has impacted me positively in terms of fitness, like I said. I do like owning the car. I like not having the hassle of having to rent one when we're going out of town. Mm -hmm. But I think the expense of having one car that was a gift, it's an old car, so we don't even carry collision coverage on it, I think that has been positive in terms of saving money, though I'm sure, like you said, we would save even more if we didn't have a car at all. 
Sometimes I do wish we had a slightly different car. Our car does not have a very large trunk. And with the car seat in, it's really hard to get our extra large dog in as well. (laughs) But that's a pretty minor thing. I feel like I'm really happy where we are transportation wise. That's a great place to be. Okay, we haven't really talked much about this because neither you nor I are using the bus much, Mm -hmm. but we both have very pleasant history with buses, or maybe not so pleasant in your case. (laughs) I was going to say, hmm, I don't know that that's how I would describe my history with buses. I have very fond feelings about buses, but why don't you tell us how you feel about buses, Sarah? I used buses a lot more when we lived in Austin because there were often things that were very far away. Mm -hmm. I used it a lot toward the end of my pregnancy and early in my pregnancy when I didn't feel like biking. Though the bus didn't really help that situation. (laughs) So (laughs) I was going to say, I also rode the bus pregnant and that was not my favorite. (laughs) So I appreciated that it solved some transportation problems for me. So I used it a lot when I was pregnant. I also used it a lot during HP's first year. As we did not live in a place that was incredibly walkable, we could walk to the park, but really anywhere else we wanted to go until he could be on a bike, we took the bus. Mm -hmm. I got really frustrated with having to be on the bus's schedule. Mm. You need to get there in enough time to make sure you don't miss it. And then sometimes the bus is late. And then when you're leaving, you need to know the bus's schedule and be on that schedule or else you're going to have to wait 20 minutes. And that didn't bother me as much until I had HP. Mm. And then when I had an infant who was tired or cranky and we're waiting at the bus stop and the bus is running late or we barely miss the bus because we couldn't get everything together at the library in time to make it to the bus stop. Totally. And those things I found just really frustrating. It wasn't convenient and it takes a long time. So once HP got on the bike, we almost never rode the bus after that because it's so much faster and we could do it on our schedule. Mm -hmm. I bus commuted from Carborough to Durham to work at Duke for two years. The first, you know, 22 months of those two years was either me pregnant or me solo. Mm -hmm. And I was really into audiobooks and into podcasts. So even though I get kind of sick reading on the bus, it wasn't a problem. I feel like it was before audio content was as much of a thing In my life, I wasn't really listening to podcasts when I was on the bus. And I also didn't have a smartphone. Yeah, it would have been harder to do that. I think I would have enjoyed it more had I been able to just sit back and listen and look out the window. How long was your commute each way? It depended. I would either walk to downtown Chapel Hill, which was about a 35-minute brisk walk, and then get on the Chapel Hill to Durham bus. Or I would take a Carborough bus to UNC's campus and then get on that same bus. Either way, my total commute was somewhere between 50 minutes at its fastest. If I, you know, made all the connections and everything was sort of working perfectly, or if I was really hustling walking, mm-hmm. or sometimes an hour and 15 at the most. Okay. And I staggered my schedule so that I could be at work by 7 or 7.30 and leave work early, like 3.45. It's still a big chunk of your day. But that worked really well to avoid the traffic that the bus would get in. Mm -hmm. And so then things were smoother in terms of making connections. It was also super affordable. So I was looking at parking at Duke and that was going to be something like $40 a month at a minimum. Wow. But I could get a bus pass 
for $25 for the whole year. Whoa. Was that a perk of being an employee of Duke? Yeah. Just thinking about all the money I saved not driving and not parking that year makes me really love the bus. (laughs) (laughs) The last two months that I worked at Duke, I actually took Plum to work with me. Mm -hmm. And so she and I commuted on the bus. I wore her in the front pack and it was super great. So, Sarah, what are your transportation dreams and goals for your future? I'm not quite sure how to answer this question. I feel like we're really happy with our current situation, but we're also really open to knowing things may be changing based on our kids' needs as they grow older and our family's needs, and that's ever-changing and evolving. I don't see anything major changing as opposed to a few different equipment tweaks to make it easier to transport older kids. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I don't see any huge shifts. I would love to get a folding bike. That's my my dream transportation list. But I don't know if that's a hope or dream or just maybe it's both. Why do you want a folding bike? It's definitely not necessary, but I think that it does solve some problems for things like you can take it while you're traveling. So then you have your own transportation there. Mm. So it's something that you can take on an airplane really easily or that we could put in the back of a rental car as opposed to needing a big bike rack with all of our bikes. Mm -hmm. It's also something if you need to go pick somebody up, like if I were flying somewhere Mm -hmm. and then was at the shuttle stop, Neil could bike with that bike and bring it and then I can ride home. Mm -hmm. So I think it solves some problems that aren't major problems, but I think it would be really fun to have one. Awesome. But there's a reason why we don't have one now, which is... (laughs) It's not a necessity. Yes, it's a want. Yeah. How about you? I have lots of things like that on my (laughs) dream transportation list. The first one, which I've been talking to you about lately, is I really want a new stroller. So I've talked before about how much I love my stroller, and it is great. It takes a lot of cargo, but it only takes one kid. Mm -hmm. And thinking about future and where there might be more kids, I've been looking into other strollers. And there's this amazing stroller called the Oslin Entourage that converts from a single stroller to a double stroller really easily and has all these amazing different configurations and can take up to 150 pounds of cargo. So thinking about all the grocery shopping that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Or library books. I feel like that's when I most overloaded my stroller. Yeah. It seems like we could really make use of that mm-hmm. on a daily to weekly basis. And because the stroller is Plum's primary vehicle at this point, It doesn't feel too crazy to think about investing in that. So that may be something coming sort of in the nearer term. But our long-term goals are to always be in a walkable neighborhood where Andrew and I can both avoid driving to work for the rest of our lives. (laughs) Another reason that I didn't talk about that I started bus commuting is that I get very intense road rage. Mm. And I don't know if this is, you know, a problem of growing up in Dallas where drivers are sort of generally ragey Mm -hmm. or it's a family of origin thing or what. But the longer I'm in a car driving, I just feel my blood pressure rising and feeling really angry. Mm -hmm. And I think that leads to bad decisions. And I would just like to avoid that in my life. I've also been in several car accidents, many of which were my fault. So I would like to avoid putting myself in those situations as much as possible as well. That's less of a transportation dream and more of a location dream. Yeah, but they're so tied together. They are. When I think back on our episode about where we've lived, 
almost everything we talked about is how walkable those neighborhoods were and right. how the location was because that affects so much of how you feel about where you live is where is it located? What's around? What can you get to? Mm-hmm. Totally. And after our Honda is no longer serving us, so once we've put 300,000 miles on it or once they've outlawed gas-powered vehicles, I would love to get an electric car. I hope that our next car is an electric car. And who knows what the technology will be by then? Maybe all the cars will be self-driving cars. Oh, yeah. That would also be awesome. That is another hope of mine for the future. Then whenever we go back home, we can just all ride in the car and no one has to be driving. Wouldn't that be so much nicer as a family? Like you're on the train only in a self-driving car. Yeah, that sounds amazing. So this whole episode, we've been talking about like making these transportation choices, but I think that we should end by sort of acknowledging our privilege and the choices that we've been able to make because other things have happened. So both of us had cars gifted to us, which made it really easy to not have a car payment Mm -hmm. and not have to worry about where we were getting a car from. Even just being able to choose a location that's really walkable is often a more expensive location. And I feel like it is a privilege to be in a position to live where we can bike and that that isn't possible for everybody. And I feel like we're offsetting a lot of that cost by not owning a car, but we feel so fortunate that we're able to make that choice. And we don't have a car because we chose that. And we know and recognize that that is not the case for a lot of people who don't have a car, that that is not because they're choosing it because they really like biking and walking. Right. So Neil and I feel really lucky that we are able to be car free and live in a location where that is easy and enjoyable. And I'm just thinking about kind of going back to the places we live, that we have been able to choose Mm -hmm. not only the neighborhoods and be able to afford where we want to live, but also the town, right? The fact that Andrew's work is here in a place where we do have these options and that they are affordable. Mm -hmm. We feel really thankful for that as well. Same. Okay, let's wrap up by talking about what we've been eating. So I have to tell about a new mac and cheese recipe that my friend tried while we were visiting her in Huntsville. I've talked a lot about macaroni and cheese on the podcast, but this was a new thing for me. So I've made macaroni and cheeses that are cooked noodles, shredded cheese and butter, and that goes in the oven. Mm -hmm. That sort of feels like one end of the spectrum. And I've made the stovetop macaroni and cheese where you don't even really make a roux. You just add the milk with a little flour and the cheese, and then it thickens, and then you add it to the pasta, and you don't bake it at all. Mm -hmm. This macaroni was kind of a hybrid in that you cook the noodles, whatever noodles you're using, and then you put the shredded cheese on top, and then you make like a cream sauce and pour that over the top and mix it in the pan and then bake it. Okay. It's a little bit different then putting the cheese into the sauce and letting it melt, Mm -hmm. it stays a little stringier, a little less Mm. dissolved in the cream sauce. Is there cheese on top then too? There's not. It's just pasta and then, get this, six cups of cheese (laughs) shredded. Uh And then the cream sauce. And then it actually calls for panko, which you cook in butter Mm -hmm. and brown. 
and then put on the top and then you bake it. But you don't bake it for as long of a time as you would in sort of the first one where there's no sauce. Right. So I really loved it as made by our dear friend in Huntsville. But when I tried to make it myself last night, it got more saucy. So I don't know if I Hmm. used too much milk or didn't have the right meltiness of the cheese. It sort of turned into a cheese sauce that got a little bit grainy, which I don't love when that happens. That's a huge problem with macaroni and cheese. Mm -hmm. So I'm still going to have to try and figure things out with this recipe. But I have hopes for what it can be based on what I ate in Alabama. And I will also say that this is the most pinned macaroni and cheese on Pinterest. Well, there is a ringing endorsement. Absolutely. It sounds like you just need to be making mac and cheese every week until you perfect it. So I am anyway, pretty much. Well, I have also been eating a food cooked for me by somebody else. (laughs) When I was back in Missouri, my mom made broccoli salad, which is one of my favorite things that she makes. And this is something that we didn't have growing up. It's a newer addition to the family's repertoire. So it has broccoli trying to think. I'll need to double check to see whether it's like very briefly steamed. I don't think it is. I think it's raw broccoli and then dried cranberries, Mm. sunflower seeds, Mm -hmm. and bacon crumbles. Yes. (laughs) And then it's a mayonnaise sauce that's sweet. Mm -hmm. I'll have to get the recipe because that is obviously the key part that holds it all together. But it is just so yum. I eat so much broccoli. There was leftovers, so we had it as a family one night, and the next morning, I thought, hmm, should I save some of this so other people could eat it for lunch? And I thought, (laughs) nope, and I ate it all for breakfast. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) And it was delicious. So I will definitely get the recipe from her and put it in the show notes because it's just such a lovely summer dish and would be a really good potluck dish. I have some potlucks coming up, and I'm thinking about making this for that. Yeah. It's nice to have a cool salad, but mm-hmm. feels a little bit hardier than just your standard lettuce situation. Exactly. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Abby, and with all of you listeners. We would love to hear from you about transportation and hear how you get around. I'd also love for you to check out my new podcast, Family Pedals, and let me know what you think. You can find it at familypedals.com or find me on Instagram at familypedals. You can connect with us at our website, friendlierpodcast.com, on Instagram at friendlierpodcast, or you can email us, friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you would share our podcast with someone you think would enjoy it. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly. How about you? Uh, Here, can I say that again? That sounded dumb. Yeah, I I wasn't quite ready either. That'd be great. (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so let's get back to the question. Circle around. Um. (laughs) Um, Which is usually, do you say the provenance of? Is that right? The province of? Who knows? Maybe we should just cut it. (laughs) When you said that word, I was like, huh. It sounds kind of right, though, doesn't it? I know the usage of that. But yeah, sure. We should cut it in case I'm wrong. (laughs) I'll just say, um, you can just end on the part about her being a powerful. Say domain. Whatever. Domain. The domain. Okay. I thought you just meant to say the word. (laughs) 
this is going well. <laughs> Get her done, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> or we have a timeline here. But he also bikes. I'm no, I'm sorry. That's a lie. I was like, he does? No. I thought you sold your bikes. We did. <laughs>